Nick. Jess. If you had your druthers. Mm-hmm. Do you know what druthers means? Where how they how that word formed? Oh, I know. I don't know how it came to be. Would you rather druthers? Would you rather druther? Oh. Druthers? Oh. Well, Is that fun? There. Look at that. Is that fun? Yeah, you something new every day. Would you rather be remembered for being the greatest actor in the world or uh ooh ooh would you rather no i'm going to ask you someone asked this in my chat yesterday would you rather laugh be, be like cursed to laugh at all serious moments or have people know what you're thinking at any given time this one was tough. It, well, this are, these are both horrible things. <laughs> no one said this was going to be easy, Nick. <laughs> I think I'd laugh at serious moments. So you, so you think horrible things? We all think horrible things. Like, you, that's you, just a given, right? <laughs> and if I could trust people to understand of like, hey, we're humans, we, we have stupid thoughts coming to our minds all the time, then maybe it'd be fine. But you, you can't trust people to have that sort of self-awareness. Um, however, if you can laugh, laughing at serious things, though it may be very problematic often, um, you could turn that into, let's not take life so seriously, right? You could, you could actually maybe allow other people to laugh at things that are serious and, and maybe try not to... Um, you know, be so precious about everything. Or you stop getting invited to serious situations. So I think I both alienate you from society. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, we know everything Nick thinks. We don't want him around. Or, oh, mm -hmm. God, Nick laughs at all the, when, when our friends die. That's, we don't need him around. Either way, you're ostracized, I think. I think, well, again, I think it's all in how you respond to it. Uh, they may start inviting you to some serious things when they know they need somebody to kind of lighten shit up. You know what I mean? What about yeah. when you're like seriously sad that you have no friends? Are you just laughing to yourself like a <laughs> mad bitch? Totally. Well, that's when you become the Joker. <laughs> and, and it's very tragic. Uh, when my cat died, they, I had them come to my house. And I was I had a nice green patch of grass and a couple of the Ripleys who, if people don't know the, the Ripleys, I'm in an improv group with awesome ladies, kind of like sisters at this point. A couple of the Ripleys and a couple of friends come over to help me deal with the passing of my cat. It mm -hmm. was, I've never, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm incredibly sheltered when it comes to most things with regards to that. I haven't seen anybody die. I, my mother put down our dogs without telling us so we didn't like I didn't have to like deal with some of these hard things I actually to the point where I had a fish when I was 21 and I had a beta fish mm -hmm. and her name was Zelda and it was in this awesome tank that I had that was you know she was by herself and then she started getting dropsy so she had like you know a bubble in her neck anyway I tried to like get her healed back to health and and it I, three weeks of this thing struggling maybe two weeks it just felt like this was my every day and then she finally died <laughs> as as one would expect you know because there's not really a lot of hope for a small fish uh, I had to have my mom bury her because I couldn't handle it like the second 
understand that's my level of coping with regards to things. It's just like, I just don't want to deal with it. I didn't want to be, I was living in my house. I was living in my grandmother's house and she was close to dying. And I was like, I'll see you guys in two weeks. And, you know, didn't, I'd moved out before she died. I was like, just didn't want to be there. So now I'm, I have to put down like the cat who I basically feel like is a soulmate. We, we, but it, there's like this nice thing where you can have, it costs money, obviously, but the people come to your house and they administer, you know, this, these drugs and make him happy. And then, then he put him to sleep slowly. I was very scared because I didn't put, you know, I'm not used to things dying. So anyway, they go through the whole process. He's dead. They wrap him up in a towel and then they leave. And then they open their, you know, side door to their, like SUV or whatever and place him on top of a, another, like a stack of blankets. <laughs> and as they were going to go to their car, I'm like, I said to, you know, Sarah, who you know, and Maddie and Allison, I'm like, they drive around with dead animals all day. <laughs> like, the idea that they have carcasses in their car really made me laugh. Oh, good. There you go. Yeah, totally. See, bringing, bringing, laughing at serious moments, bringing lighthearted to tragedy. I just don't think if you had the would you rather that you get to choose when you get to make people laugh. <laughs> I think that's the case. <laughs> I think I'd rather people know everything I think. Really? Yeah. I, I'm, I veer towards uh, righteous honesty as much as possible now. Okay, great. I think there's some things I don't realize, I think, or I don't know. I just I just feel like, I don't care if I laugh at serious moments. I actually don't give a fuck, but I also don't care if people know what I think. Okay, great. I what do you know. think? What are you thinking right now? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Nick, do you, have you ever played? role-playing games not in bed have i ever i mean you know i'm not sure that i have back in elementary school uh a buddy of mine mark uh this is elementary school like fifth sixth grade started they started playing like this group i was with started playing D, &D right okay and my buddy mark was the the dungeon master this is like stranger things essentially sure sure um yeah great exactly like it minus the you know the girl that liked you all the yeah oh this was <laughs> this was during my my sort of least <laughs> oh my god this is when i knew like this is when i like just knew girls weren't interested in me <laughs> and i remember going well, now i'm conflating two stories it's but okay one story where i remember we're literally on a blacktop uh mindy i'm gonna say her last name but beautiful girl Ooh, um i was trying to tell somebody oh you should just go ask whoever they liked out and they're like well why don't you ask mindy out and so cool. just to show them like how easy it was because <laughs> i knew what was going to happen i knew the answer i was like let me just, okay sure sure and i went and hey uh mindy do you want to go out and she goes nope i go cool <laughs> <laughs> sure. i just I, sixth grade yeah 
I remember this moment and then it totally, I, it's, it's funny because it's one of those types of things where you like, you totally have that sort of shell around. You're like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I'm just trying to show my friend of like how easy it is to deal with this, but it scarred me emotionally for a long time. Of course it did. I really liked Mindy. I mean, she was. Of course it did. Um, but who didn't like Mindy? Um, who didn't that, like Nick? Mindy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mindy didn't. Um, so funny how I can, like, there's a lot of things you can forget, but I, I literally kind of remember what she looked like. I remember, it's so weird. Oh, no, I, I remember most of my boy interactions, for sure. Pretty clear as day. Um, but with, so anyway, so we're, so Mark's the dungeon master, and he's got all these people doing D&D. And I'm just, I'm, I'm watching because what I'm for whatever reason, I don't know why I wasn't, I had, I was caught, my, my antenna was up because I, as I, what I witnessed was everybody playing D and D and Mark's the dungeon master. And at some point in time, people would start paying Mark for things like give him a dollar for the sword or, or bring him, you know, candy or, or whatever it is. And, and Mark totally took advantage of this, right? Oh, you lost your sword in this fight or, you know, Yada yada would happen, and he was running a racket, man. People holy would, fuck. People would bring him money. They, you know, I think one point one kid went as far as giving him twenty dollars, which was like, what? Are you crazy? And so I'm laughing my ass off the whole time watching it, and I think that may have turned me away from D and D for the rest of my life. I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> You know, I'm sure there's honest dungeon masters out there, and yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a code of ethics, yada yada, whatever. Of course, there are. Mark's a little shit. Um, but Mark raked it in, and if they're willing to do it, I mean, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? It's like, who's, like, who's at fault here, Mark? The, ki- or, the parents. Or <laughs> <laughs> the other kids for 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 thinking that they can bribe somebody to get an advantage in a game that's this is oh. the one time where I agree with crazy Christians who think that the D D is the devil. That kid is is giving in to sin. <laughs> Avarice, that kid. <laughs> no, he's not he's a capitalist. He's an opportunist. He saw an opportunity. All right. Um there was a demand for his favor and uh, he supplied it. Uh, and got rewarded for it. You know, he's an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, yeah, but yeah, he forever lost a customer in Nick Masu. <laughs> oh man, but I loved watching it. I was like, what are these people doing? This God, that's so incredible. crazy. Well, the reason I ask is because we've talked about this before. Uh, my friend Scott Rubin has a book called Naming Your Little Geek. And let's say if you're someone like myself, who's not in a position to think about what I might name my future child or or have to come together and agree with my non-existent mate of what we might name our child together, I could use that book to name D&D characters. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Jesus. Ow. I tried to soften the blow for myself and you just went, nope. <laughs> you pulled the... Or another option for someone like you or myself is to use that to name improv characters. You could... Oh, sure. Sort through the book. Like, just, like, flip through it. And now... Now you got, now you got me. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I was going to have you always. Look, look I, did, I didn't mean to take a, take a I shot. I don't give a flying... At- 
There's a lot of RPG people out there who pro- probably who listen because you do RPG. And oh, I-, I thought you were saying it was sad that I didn't have a see. I thought you were saying it was exciting that I didn't ha- wasn't didn't have a mate. <laughs> oh. Like you're making fun of me for good nice life, Jessica. <laughs> See, I have make everything about me somehow. All roads lead to this Jessica. This is this is the problem with uh hypervigilance. Is it yes. we start with hypervigilance? We well, we didn't and we did and we didn't we didn't. There was no, we we, right. we scrapped it. We scrapped a, the the opening. What people where don't we know is we had it. a couple of false starts that you'll never hear Ever. that I'm that I make may make reference to. Well, we can point back though to our deep dive that very few people have access to unless you're a Patreon member. Where we did talk we did talk about hypervigilance there. And then you recently mentioned confirmation bias. So that was my confirmation bias. I, but I'm gonna, we're going to walk that back, though, and I'm going to resell you on Naming Your Little Geek by <laughs> Scott Rubin, where you, as an improviser, can up your game of different names by flipping through that book. Which is so important because, you know, when I first started improvising, every guy was Steven and mm-hmm. every girl was Sally. Mm-hmm. Which... I, it's and and it's funny because still like in a moment of like panic, those are the first two names that, that pop into my head. Of course, which is just garbage. And there, well, it's in improv. You're trained to not to do the least amount of thinking as much as possible, so that way you can just be present and perform. Because the more you're pre-planning, if you're going on stage, going, I'm going to call Nick's character. How how how? Like I'm going on stage, not being open to. What name you're re- what name you really are? What what offers are being given? If I'm super focused on one thing, um, but that's not to say that when you know people ask a lot, how do you rehearse improv? Um, you're really just training the skills that you use on stage in order to not think about improv while you're doing it. And one of them is uh, trying to grab names from other sources so that way you don't have to think too hard about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get like, name get names out there. Yeah, literally practice different names. Study what kind of names are used in a specific genre. Uh, remember your great grandparents' names. You know, like that was a pretty good tip of information. There's another one where you you another sort of technique that some people use, which is just basically start saying a name and, that you don't know what you're saying and see what comes out. So you mm. maybe maybe you start with a letter or a sound and you. Just force yourself to say whatever comes up. And even if it's just anarchies, then the person's name. <laughs> we missed that. What was it? Oh, you missed it? Yeah, we oh, missed it. Was it. So brilliant. It was so brilliant. I'll try another one. Um, so even if you start to say Carlarsoner. 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 But do, her friends do call her Cars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a Celtic, Celtic name. Carlers, Carlersner. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Carsey. Cars, Carsey. Mm-hmm. I like Carsey. Carsey's really cute. That's a good name. Good job, Nick. There you so go. It, it's clear that Nick doesn't need this book, Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Rubin. But if you want this book, go to bubblesandthingssoaps.com and look for you, Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Rubin. It's really. It will look good on your bookshelf either way. Or scare your partner into thinking that you want to have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Look, 
Harry, look what I got. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Nick, we're gonna we're gonna stop calibrate and listen. We haven't done that in a while. We've talked about the Jess is back with a brand new list. list. No, god damn it! Jess is back with the brand, the brand new, new condition. Condition. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, she's got problems. <laughs> um. Yeah, we just haven't we haven't checked in about how we're feeling about our generational differences between ourselves. Between Let's the do world. it. I'm yeah. down. How are you? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you you go first then if you're so down. Wait, no, no. This is your segment where I where I sit and listen and respond. I literally said check in with how we're feeling about ourselves and the world. So now go. Oh, that's oh I see. I didn't know that. I thought. I'm used to this segment being about you throwing things at me. Oh no, no! I really just want to do like a, like a, like a, like we're getting we're we're getting the baseline of where we're at right now, so that it will then further judge what we go through today. I have one thing to talk to you about today, so I just want to get that. I want to get how you're feeling. This is about calibrating you. How I'm feeling about the world today in general? With regards to generational differences and regards to you and me with generational differences. I, I, I Listen, I, Jessica, the intern, was supposed to let you know. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't have any notes on this. I do have a lot of notes on Can't Hardly Wait, and I can't hardly wait to talk about that. Did you actually watch it? Did you do your homework? No. Did you actually watch it? Holy shit, Jess. I was going to send you a text to make sure you did your homework. Yes, I did it. I watched it within the last year, so... Oh, good. fine. Yeah, we'll see how much you remember. I remember plenty. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, this, is, this is how I want to make you feel bad about it. You sure did. Uh, <clears throat> um, which is a lot of generational. Did stuff you watch Can't Hardly Wait with Sandra? No, no, no. Okay. No, we, we don't have time to watch any of that. I watch while I'm lying next to my daughter where I'm pretending to be asleep so that she can go to sleep oh. and I'm hiding the phone <laughs> as I'm watching on, on watching this. That's, that's how I watch. Or I watch while I'm doing dishes. There's no time to sit and watch a movie. I understand. I just, I was really curious to get a glimpse of how, cause you and her are the same generation, right? Oh yeah. So I would be really curious to see Sandra, for those of you who don't know is Nick's wife. So be really curious to see what her thoughts, what her takeaways are. Cause she also works in, in uh, costuming in the business and would that be the right term costuming right yeah costume design yeah costume design well there's a lot of interesting costume design in that <laughs> <laughs> yes there is some interesting choices yes um that actually i think work for the i think the well, we'll cap yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get into we'll, we'll get, get into we'll, it we'll get, get into it so we'll how are you feeling um shit well i guess i'll just go with the first thing that comes to mind um, I'm just gonna go straight up with Simone Biles, right? Yeah, this is, right. This is this is there. This is out there. She comes back last night, and she bronzes in the uh, in the in the balance beam. Amazing. And it's you know, it's there's a there. She's really 
start, like not started, but continuing to put at the forefront a conversation on mental health. And I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, kind of poo-poo this stuff. And, and I think there is definitely, you know, uh, the, the whole idea of, you know, push yourself beyond your limits and, you know, there's no uh, participation trophies and, you know, it's, only, it's all about winning. Um, I get that mentality and, and why that mentality was there at one time. Um, but I also think it's super awesome that things are shifting. And I think I've talked about this before in terms of like pendulum swing. Yeah. Pendulum's got to swing the other way in order for any change to happen. So maybe, and I don't, this isn't in reference to Simone Biles. I think everything that she did was right for her and was important and is going to really move the needle. She's not the first person to have done it. Move the needle on mental health and mental yeah, health yeah, awareness yeah, yeah, yeah. and being an advocate for yourself. Um, and and I think, you know, there's also like, this isn't mental health. Like we're, we're talking, people are talking about this like mental health, like, like well, what, what, what's her mental illness? It's not a mental illness. That's not what this is about for her. It's a thing that we all come to learn now called twisties, where you do have a sort of separation between your mind-body connection. Right. It's not like she's, I don't know, she could be dealing with some other mental illness. We don't know, but that is not what it's not like she's dealing with, you know, depression or bipolar or some of these other sort of core. Well, she could be, though, too. As she, I said, she could be, but we do, that's not what we're. It's not what it's about. We're talking about like literally like uh, mental preparedness. Yeah. I think people, yeah, I think people out there, I've seen some of the responses mix up mental illness with mental health mm. right it's confusing though <laughs> it is confusing yeah right right are you mentally sound in order to do your daily functions and what is so what's the difference between that and mental illness right mental is there Ill a difference yeah mental illness is more you have a disease per se or a disorder is usually what it's referred to as mm. Um, uh, or, or a syndrome, right, mm. is more chronic. It's more, uh, you know, long-term. It's more sort of runs across a, a period of time that is inhibiting you from living a quality of life that you desire, mm -hmm. right? Or, or, or is limiting you from being able to function in a responsible way or to be able to take care of yourself in a healthy way, right? That's mental illness, and that can, you know that can you know, present itself in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Mental health is something that is constantly in flux on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Where am I at mentally? Am I mentally capable of performing today? That's totally different than I have a mental illness. Okay, does that make sense? See the difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and when you're dealing with something that she's dealing with, which is very high risk in terms of injury, um, you don't need to have a chronic mental illness in order to recognize that your mental health may not be in a place where you will be safe in performing yeah. whatever functions. Yeah. You know? So anyways, it's just bringing up this conversation, which is fantastic. You know, I think people make it black and white and I think the, the conversation will get more complex as things go on, but until you bring awareness around this, um, you can't even have the conversation. Uh, and I think 
her gener her generation, Gen Z, it seems to really be taking charge of this. You know, I'm watching Balance Beam last night with my two and a half year old daughter, and I want her to look at um, Simone Biles as as a role model. Yeah. As now we can talk about this. Not she's not. I can't talk about it with her yet. She's two and a half years old, and all she go knows is like. She goes, she's good. Yeah, yeah, she is good. She's good. She's, you know. I'm glad you can recognize she's a good, she's good at what she does. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, it was fascinating because she didn't say that about any of the other performers, which there was plenty of other, you know, fantastic. She's also hearing the commentators, though. Like, there's a lot of uh, reinforcement. True. In this particular moment, it wasn't a result of that. I mean, I guess it could have been, but. There's a lot of there's a lot of factors, you know. Yeah. Like also, there's commercials with Simone Biles in it, you know. Like there's it's a lot of mirror exposure effects too. And I'm not saying Simone isn't good, uh, or objectively, where a, a two and a half year old might notice that. I just it's only now that I'm starting to understand how difficult the gymnasts have it and how like. I was watching, what did I watch yesterday? The uneven bars and how many of them fucked up. Mm. Like that's, but that's just commonplace, you know? doesn't mm -hmm. mean they're inadequate or and not good at it. Um, but I just don't think I had the ability to understand the nuance of that years ago. So until recently, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I'm really put, paying more attention than normal. Yeah, you, and maybe because of, of what, the choice that Simone Biles did and made you go, yeah. oh, wait a second. What am I actually watching? What's the difficulty level of these things, you know? Because here's this person. I mean, like, Simone Biles is an anomaly. I, I, I mean, she's not an anomaly, but she's just objectively the best gym, female gymnast maybe we've ever seen. She's, she does things that are just boggle the mind. Um, and so we then project onto her um, this sort of like, you know, rock-like nature, this sort of statue, this sort of impervious to any sort of imperfection. And then when we, it's almost like when we see her be imperfect, it like shatters our idea that, that uh, of what, you know, what we imagine being that type of athlete is. Um, and so, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's fascinating because, you know, people have been comparing her a lot to uh, Carrie Strug, which is a very interesting comparison, right? You have Carrie Strug, hurts her ankle on a vault, gets back up there and does another vault. But when you take a closer examination at this, she didn't really have a choice to say no. And and there's, like I said, I've seen some, some like, um, what do they call it when they when you when they show the like in writing the conversation that she had with is his name Bella Caroli? What was this? What's the what's the coach's Bella Carosi Carosi or something like that? Yeah, he was the Russian uh, yeah. coach of the magnificent. And it was basically yeah. like he's like, you can do this in a way of like you're gonna do this, <laughs> right? And and in the end, you know, you see her make the choice, but like to say, yes, I'm going to do this. But like, does she really have a choice? She got fucking hurt. And the, first of all, the pressure, the, the, no one watched gymnastics. Well, perhaps I was, I was at the perfect age for it to be like, what the fuck? This is incredible. But he, I watched it. Yeah. 
well, no, I just, it was just such a huge deal that they yeah. were like sweeping the, the, the gold up off of everyone's feet. It was just incredible. And then he literally, I, there, there's a difference there. It's, it's a, it's a very slim difference between, come on, you got this, you can do it, you know, dust yourself back up, off, you know, get, you know, pull up your bootstraps, whatever. But she had already hurt herself. So for him to do that, then it becomes questionable, I guess. So, well, so here's the thing that I think about, like, so it's definitely questionable, yet at the same time, I remember back to that time, everyone in America was excited to have him as a coach because he was that tough, no-nonsense coach who's going to push his athletes to be the best they possibly could be. He's coming from the Russia system where that's what they're all about, and we want to beat Russia, and we want to be better than them, and we're a little too soft, and he's going to make us hard. So that was like an American value. That was like, hey, suck it up, be tough, push yourself beyond your limits. Um, and we valued that as an American society, which is why people now, you see this sort of divisiveness now of like, hey, what happened to that? That was such a great thing. Um, and what I think this generation is showing us is like, no, here's the, here's the downside to that. And, How- can, and can you continue to push yourself to your highest ability? but not have that sort of mindset laid on top. Well, think about it too. Carrie Strug gets put out to pasture after that. She was 18 and 18. never, com- yeah. never, she could have competed again. She, cause how old is Simone Biles right now? It's 24. 24. Don't get me wrong. You know, the, Simone Biles and Michaela who won the silver uh, in vault. I don't know. I can't conjure mm-hmm. her last name. Um, they they call themselves the grandmas of the team and they're 24. Imagine there's so much mental stigma that goes around. Just ugh, wild, wild shit. Um, I, 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 I'm going to be honest, even though she got the bronze, I'm like, well, that's not good enough. <laughs> I, I, that's the culture though. That's society saying, well, she didn't get the gold. How mm-hmm. should, how could she be proud? And of course, I intellectually know that she is worthy and proud and she's on the Olympic stage. But we've also been conditioned to think that you want a gold and you're only good enough if you get the gold. Yeah. But, you know, you put yourself in, in her shoes of like all that she's accomplished. She doesn't need a gold to prove to herself or to anybody that she's good at what she does. Um, and here, here's one. Here's, here's a thing that I, I did want to ask you about so there's something that she said that i think is i think is really interesting i know so a lot of people don't know i have a friendship with simone biles and she suggests gives me the strength <laughs> to go on but i get it it's really you're funny. on her tiktok page <laughs> she's, the, she's the biggest champion i have <laughs> so she said like after, like right after her first initial decision to step away, you know, from the team and all the responses that she got, um, she then tweeted out or Instagram or whatever it was, she, uh, basically saying that like, thank you all for your support. It's the first time I ever felt like I am not my gymnastics career. Like I am somebody more than I am more than my gymnastics career. This is this is a fascinating concept, and um, because all of us, 
um, how our identity is formed and how it attaches to things outside ourselves and what can happen when that identity gets broken, what are we left with, is a really interesting mental development that I don't think we talk enough about. And in particular, this is a philosophy, a philosophy that I was that was shared with me at one point in my life that I've taken when, in my life and I've noticed and talked about and seen. And I'm curious what your take is on this. Okay. In particular, women. Women do not fully form a sense of self or a true sense of like a complete sense of self until the age of 26. It's part of their development. And until the age of 26, and it, I know it seems like really like 26 is such a hard black and white line there. Um, but I've, I've, over the years, I've talked to different women. I've seen different examples of it. And it always kind of plays out. I'm just curious what, what your experience of this is. And so have, give, okay, go um, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So like one example is um, what, what can happen? Like that, that, and I don't know what the age is for men. But this is one thing where men, it happens a little bit sooner. I'm going to guess maybe shortly, like I'm going to guess like 22, 23 or something, you know, not like dramatically sooner. Um, or maybe it's not as much of an issue. But what, what, a, what a, a woman can do is they can attach their identity to something outside themselves. And it's not to say that men don't do this too. Um, and, and in particular, relationships. Okay. Okay, so this was, in, I remember now how this was introduced to me. It was, in, you know, somebody who said, a wise, a wise person said to me, be mindful of being in a serious relationship with any girl younger than 26. It's like, oh, it's like, okay. He goes, they're still forming their identity of uh, their sense of self and who they are and, and what their values are and what they want in life. And what can happen is when they get into a serious relationship with somebody before that age, they take on their partner's identity. They take on their partner's values as their own. And what can happen is, is later in life, they realize they've done it. Wow. And they want out, potentially. Usually, right? or, yeah, or, or act out, or... Mm -hmm. They don't feel as though they're their own person, that they've been identified as their relationship, as the other person, that they've taken on the, their other values, which you know, they had said, you know, contributes to the high divorce rate of people who get married too young, because what happens is that happens. And then the woman wakes up in her thirties where she does have a really strong sense of who she is and what she wants. And if it's not in alignment with the partner she chose, that creates a lot of friction and problems. It's not to say that women are the cause of divorce. That's not the, that's not well, what it saying. sounds a lot like what we uh, ascribe men going through mid midlife crisis stuff too like sounds similar to like divorce the wife get a get a you know corvette and yeah a hot, a hot chick that's yeah that's the min, that's the ma male's identities fear of getting old and and uh right yeah. right right I, maybe that's the, the a different way of freaking out about their life um so have you uh, exacerbated the the remainder of your thought? Yeah, so I, I well, just, just one that I recognize that in Simone Biles' statement. I was like, oh, she's 24. She, yes, she's still in that phase where she's being able to establish her own sense of values and, and, and identity. She, Of course, it makes total sense that she, you know, gymnastics has become so much a part of herself 
but it's great that, that she's able to have the awareness around, though, there's this, there's me, Simone Biles. I want that needs to be at the forefront, not the gymnast, you know, and it's just, yeah. 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 One of the male, male gymnasts, I was watching the, um, what's the one where they whip their legs around? Oh, the, uh, pommel horse, the pommel horse. Uh, one of the guys was like, I'm looking forward to, this is my, my last Olympics. I'm looking forward to finding out who I am after this, basically. Like, mm. like you know, realizing there's more to life than gymnastics. And that guy's, what, 25, 26 or something like that. Um, there's a couple things that I find interesting. I have never heard that before about women in particular. Though, if I compare it side by side to my behavioral choices as a, you know, young 25 or or four-year-old. I I think I was afraid of some of my life on my own or like making life choices. So yes, I did. Like I did attach to a couple boys. Um, But then it's hard to not assume that that's also just a penchant I have. Um, When one doesn't have a good foundation, they look towards something that at least feels good or is working and go, well, that, that, that must be it. And also let's take into account Simone Biles' entire life is gymnastics. So she doesn't have the luxury of exploring outside of that. Really. She's, she trains every single day. You know, I don't think she just probably can't do anything else but train. So I think that's a different contributing factor with regards to her. So two things that I, I know, our brain as humans, maybe it happens a little bit earlier for boys or later for boys or earlier for girls. I don't know. But our brain doesn't stop fully forming until we're 25. And the last part of our brain to form is our ability to see things in the long term. So the first time we're beginning to wake up to the fact that our choices have consequences, that uh, you're, you're going to die one day, <laughs> that you need to have savings, doesn't really occur to us until we're 25, which is then something that people were talking about when I was about 25, you know, social media, you can start like comparing notes and going, I'm going through this thing, I'm going through this thing. Oh my God, we all are. Uh, Quarter life crisis was something the millennials were talking about a lot. And I thought that was like just a super cop out. But in reality, you are coming to terms for the first time with the fact that like, I'm going to be living for a lot. What am I, what the fuck? Am I just going to party? What am I doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, learning that our brains didn't hundred percent stop forming until that time really makes a lot of sense. If you think about it, there's also an astrological phenomenon. Are you, for, are you aware of this? Mm-mm. It's called the return of Saturn. You've heard the phrase, maybe it's, the third effort of uh, No Doubt, I believe, because Gwen Stefani was going through it at the time they were writing the album. Saturn, wherever it was when you were born, only orbits the Earth every 26 or 27 years, something like that. Mm. And so they call it the return of Saturn. And Saturn brings with it your true life's purpose. Hmm. And when it comes back into your orbit, when it was coming back into a close enough Earth orbit, and again, so many people hate astrology and put no faith into it and go, I'll go 
you know, go forth with grace. I Everyone has different opinions. For me, I love understanding myself better and how I relate to the world and others. And this was a really interesting way to think about it. Uh, so I do, li- I do like the theory behind it. Essentially, uh, Saturn has one of two modes where when it's coming back into your life, if you're doing the right thing, it will affirm you. And if you're doing the wrong thing for your life, it will spin you out of it, mm. it, it with, with a vengeance as mm. well. Uh, when I was 27, I got in a car accident because I was sad about a boy and I was distracted and I was smoking a cigarette and I was also, and then boom, car accident. And my life said, you're fucking not paying attention to your life. Mm. And then all in on acting, all in on like, you know, there's still, obviously, I'm not a perfect person. I've made relationship errors (laughs) past that point, too. But my, there's an argument to be made at around 26, 27, my life, Saturn went, no, stop. So, uh, you know, so that's what, 26, 27 years it's this core life crisis. It's it's all sorts of things, right? So it, you can either call it astrological, you can call it physiological, whatever. And then there's other people that think that when Saturn comes back around the second time in your late 50s, that if you're doing the right thing, it goes, yay. If you're doing the wrong thing, it could kill you. <laughs> it's like, I fucking told you. <laughs> oh, so, man. I can't wait. Yeah. I need, God, I need to, I need, I'm pretty close to that. Either confirmation. You're not or, really close. I'm pretty close. You're close. Close, close enough. <laughs> you and I are both close. You're closer to it. I'm closer to my previous one. Uh, there's nothing wrong with realizing. I like the affirmation of what do you really want to be doing? What is really what is really the purpose of your life? And so. Well, th- well, this reaffirms also a theory that I have that uh, many people at that at this age that we're talking about hit a wall. Um, <laughs> I could tell you stories of when I hit my wall. Um, and I know a story of a friend of mine who literally <sighs> hit a wall <sighs> in his car. Um, right, right. I mean, and, and those, those moments, you know, were, were the same as what your moment was, was like, okay, we got to make some changes. Yep. 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 Uh, it's a fascinating thing. I don't think it's, I don't think. Men are exempt from having that at, at, at the same, it might happen a little earlier, because, but then also women are very quick to talk about how boys are just not mature and that, you you know, even even a guy over 30 isn't necessarily mature. There's a different, there's like a emotional thing a guy has to go through in order to actually want to be in a relationship and committed um, that kind of is intangible. But so it seems like it's interesting that, let's put it this way. If a guy dates a girl under 24 and they're over 24, I'm questioning. I have some questions. <laughs> I knew I wasn't anything. I was a fucking amoeba when I was 24. Or no, when I was 19. Like I was, it was, it would be, it would have been criminal for an adult to date me. Because <laughs> I was just so dumb. And and that's okay to be dumb. I'm allowed to be dumb, but 18 is no indicator, even though there's sexual maturity. And we're like, yeah, let's fuck. This sounds great. It's uh, dangerous, dangerous. All right, we're moving on. So basically, I'm going to take from all that, that my theory has some truth to it in your perspective. Or the theory that I was given. I'm not discounting it. 
at all. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, I'm now I'm more curious to find out uh, what the effect it has on boys and if it is common. Yeah. If it, I would love to pick your brain about what switches over in a boy's brain who goes from I don't want to commit to I'm ready. I'd love to talk about that. To you don't want to go time. down that dark abyss. It's a deep, dark hole. <laughs> he says as he's crying. <laughs> no, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. All right. I have a serious question coming up for you in just a bit, Nick. Okay, so Nick, there is a, a topic that I want to talk to you about today. Oh, okay. It's so divisive that it literally may separate us forever. Forever? I mean, the whole thing is based, it hinges on one key difference of opinion. Whether, whether or not you like the movie Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> Whether or not you think it's any good, we'll get to it. <gasps> wow, I have an insight into what you think now. Um, no, do you or do you not separate your lights and darks when you do oh. laundry? Jeez. Oh, I saw this on Twitter. Yeah, that's why I, we're talking about it. Um, no, we do not separate lights and darks, though we do, do a, we do have a separation system of hots and colds. And uh, we have three different um, sections. Now, mind you, I'm married to a costume designer who has washed a lot of clothes in her life. Okay. Um, so I take my system from hers. Now, if, it, if anything is new, by all means, that it could bleed or run, you got to wash that separately. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, if you had a load of all whites, yeah, you should wash all whites. Um, but we more separate based on we have a socks and underwear which you what which you're going to put on hot you okay know? yeah although there are some socks and underwear that you would put on cold because uh, because of the material the type of type of sock or underwear. you don't want to put a wool sock in hot you'll shrink it got it you know and none of my underwear but her underwear needs to be washed on cold let's talk more about her underwear yeah. <laughs> i don't know what the material is no but it's all based on on material so we have hot which hot and you know hot and dry and then we have another one which is you know it's not your socks and your underwear that need to be really hot it's just whatever stuff you don't care that much about you know r random t-shirts or whatever that you're going to probably run on warm to hot but you also could dry and then we have cold which you hang which you don't dry interesting I'm learning actually right now. I'm going to, because I do, I don't separate, I separate whites from clothing. I don't have the money to separate the lights from my darks. Sometimes I do. If but I why? have my druthers, I don't know. I think that that's part of the problem is I think it's an antiquated method based off of other people's old styles. I think it's, I think that's so that the, the Twitter post basically suggested that if you were below the age of 40, you likely didn't separate your lights and darks, which would then lead me to think 
that the parents of 40 and up made parent made made that's how they washed their clothing based off of settings with regards to the washing machine. Now things are more nuanced. I believe so. Uh, I believe that's true. And I think, you know, I think I had, I definitely know that mindset of separating lights and darks. Um, as a man, uh huh. we just throw it all in. It doesn't matter. We don't separate anything. Okay. And it wasn't until like I learned from my older brother, who was also as a man, he's like, oh man, I hang my, I hang my shirts. I was oh, like, yeah. oh, he goes, yeah, it also ruin your shirts, oh, the, yeah. shirts, the shirts you care about. I was like, oh, okay. So that was my first step. But then as most things, most like day-to-day living necessities uh, that I've learned, I've learned from Sandra. Thank right. God. I, as I would just be, it just would be a mess. And laundry is one of them. Um, I still though get very anxious around laundry. She does most of it because like, I'm so afraid to throw the wrong article of clothing in the wrong temperature. Right. I have shrunk a fair amount of her stuff. Oh God, there's nothing worse. Right. There's nothing worse. So, so the only time I think we're ever really concerned, although no, there's, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, you're worried about, from my understanding, you're worried about a color running. So is it going to run? If it's been washed a few times, you're probably fine. Um, it's not it's not the only concern when it comes to cold water and hot water because you were right about like the wool i'm talking stuff. about the light and dark but yes well i think that that's the difference though too right well light and dark is because you're afraid something's gonna run usually right like i can wash a red shirt with dark colors but i shouldn't wash wash a red shirt with light colors or put it in hot water yes yes that's that yes that's a yes, but that's not necessarily like a light and dark general rule, but that is something you should think but about. But I think yes. that's why it's generalized pretty much for those reds. Oh, yeah. I've I've pinked a few of her items. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've done it. So the Mr. Mom doesn't carry on as far as most of the laundry duties. No, you know, uh, there was a, you know, when I, when I, when she was an infant and I was just doing everything, no, I did literally everything. Um, and I would have a flow and I would get it all done, mm-hmm. you know, cause that was just primarily what I'm doing now when I'm trying to actually take care of my own career, my own life. Um, I got to draw the line somewhere and it just happens to be, I don't know. I have, I do have anxiety around doing laundry. I, I had a feeling this was going to be a source of uh, information that would be interesting for me and for our listeners, primarily because of Sandra's unique uh, expertise and the fact that you're a male. <laughs> it tends to be, it, I, I, it tends to be that men are, um, I, I'm definitely not the laundry person. But that being said, like, like our mutual friend Laurie Jones and Paul Vanasek. Um, he does the laundry because she does not have the time to do the laundry, <laughs> you know? And I think he's a very, you know, thoughtful person when it comes to that stuff. Um, I just now learned that when in doubt, ask. Fair. Just when in doubt, ask. Don't. You should, there's no other thing you should be doing. Or just don't wash it. Like, I'll leave that item out. Yeah. There's some things that just, I haven't washed in six months because I haven't brought them to the dry cleaner yet. Those are the only, like... I, I feel like I hit womanhood. You once asked me, when does a girl turn 
from a girl to a woman and I said it was buying soap. That is one thing. That is one way. But it's really when you start using a tailor and dropping your clothes off at the dry cleaner. That's the real womanhood <laughs> turn right there. Motherhood be damned. Periods are joke. It's going to, it's using your local dry cleaner. <laughs> I literally to this day think about the items of clothing that my second boyfriend lost in a laundromat because he was too embarrassed to tell somebody that they put their clothes into his dry into our dryer. What? Someone put their clothes into our dryer when he was washing all of our clothing, but primarily my clothing. Apparently, this is the story. And he and she didn't speak English, or so he assumed, and he was too embarrassed to tell her those that's my girlfriend's clothes, or that's our clothes. <laughs> that's not yours. Whoa. And I lost lost vintage incredible pieces of clothing I would wear to this day. Some clothing you never think about again. My let's even go another step further. Let's probably this is me working out ancestral trauma. My mother set my father's favorite t-shirts on fire by accident. By accident. She left it by the water heater. Oh. And he'll never forgive her. They don't they're not together anymore. He'll never forgive her. I could start a big fire. That's she was not for as wonderful as a mother as she is with regards to how much she loves us. I we didn't make we didn't do chores. We she didn't know how to cook. <laughs> she she came she came into it trying to be a housewife, not knowing how to do do some things like that. It's very interesting. She got a she got a course correction from my father's mother real quick. Um. Anyway, we didn't solve anything there. No, 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 we didn't. I, I think I don't think it's. I think it's not as divisive as people think it is. I think some people know how to wash clothes. Some people don't. Some people just throw it all into one. You know, pile. I try to separate as much as possible. I have to wash my sheets in a very different setting than everything else. So that makes me pretty mindful as much as possible with my clothing. Yeah, it's more about the material than I it is so. than it is about the color, though. Though you do have to be mindful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will never talk to you ever again over this one thing. <laughs> Well, and, and I welcome our listeners to reach out to us on Twitter and let us know if this is as big a deal as people think it is. And our Twitter handle is don't know Nick. Let us know at Nick, at me. Let me know what you guys think. It's a really blue, like people really got. I think it's just, no, it. I just think it was like people trying to, you know, have something to talk about. <laughs> of all things. You know, it's, it's, I'm sure it was a lot of the mediocre people that say, were saying Simone Biles was a failure. Same people. <laughs> yes. Same people with hot takes. Nick. Yes? You don't like Can't Hardly Wait? No, that's not. That's not it. What that's is it? That's not it. What is it? I don't not not like it. Well, um, but you don't like it then. That's not that's a strong. I mean, look, 
here I don't I'm trying to recall back to the feelings I had when I watched it way back when and what it meant to me and yada yada. I don't think I ever like I thought it was I think I think in watching it it's like a fine popcorn flick. Um but is it a good movie? <sighs> so one thing I'll say is is I'm going to I want to plug a uh, some friends podcast here. My friends of mine have a podcast they call Film or Movie. And what they do is they watch movies, films, and they then categorize them, whether they were a film or a movie, as well as rate them. You know, it's a movie review show. Right, big, right, big, right. The, one of the big questions they ask is, is it a film or is it a movie? Wow, okay. wow. And now, we, now we're here, we're, we're looking at, now we're looking at Can't Hardly Wait and Dazed and Confused, right? Days and Confused is a film, and Can't Hardly Wait is a movie. Can you wrap your brain Convince me? Convince me that that's not your subjectivity talking. You have to convince me. Well, this is not about subjectivity, really. I mean, I guess it is. Of course it is. There's a level of subjectivity here, but partly what you're thinking now is that by me labeling it a movie makes it bad. No. Okay. Okay, good. Got that out of the way. I was just judging by your face, facial expression that the audience can't see. I think you're pedestaling dazed and confused. No, 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 no. What? Oh, yes, of course. Well, let's, well, let, well, let's get into this here. That's why I'm asking the mean potato question. Because, okay, well, first off, Can't Hardly Wait is a formulaic film. Um, it's, it's a heightened reality for comedy's sake. And at the end of the day, it's a rom-com. It's a straight-up rom-com. Um, it may be a rom-com with elements of coming of age, but it is top to bottom a formulaic rom-com. Um, and by nature, one of the things they have on film or movie, again, I'm just going to plug the podcast. Great. They're hilarious. They do a great job. Um, they have a thing called Market 8, which means... A, like a, a blanket rule. Okay. Um, and like, like a market eight could be that all rom-coms are movies. Like, is there any rom-com out there that's of actual, that, that that's a film and not a movie? You've got mail? Movie. Sleepless in Seattle? I mean, you know, you could, you could say, like you could make the argument that like, oh, Nora Ephron's uh, rom-coms were such like the hallmark of what it means to be a rom-com and you have such great acting with, you know, um, with Tom Hanks and, um, holy shit. Why am I not remembering? I'm not even going to help you. Oh gosh, whatever. Um, Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. Thank you very much. That, uh, you know, that they could be films. It is close. Maybe you could say when Harry met Sally. Oh, it's a film? Yeah. You could right? say that's a film. So maybe it's not a total market eight, but when when you know, when you got the classic sort of hit, you know, paint by number rom com that can't hardly wait is, and then when you add to it sort of like a heightened reality for the sake of comedy, it's a it's a movie. Whereas when you look at um when you look at uh, Dazed and Confused, 
here. There is a little bit of heightening of reality and just the fact that it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a movie or a film, mm-hmm, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a piece of entertainment. Mm-hmm. But what happens in that movie or film, however you want to call it, what happens in that film, I'll say, because I'm calling it a film, uh, <laughs> is, is like, could actually happen in real life. Like those events, the way the characters interact can happen in real life. What happened to Can't Hardly Await is no. It's, it's completely ultra realistic, right? So that's part of it. Then also you look at how that film, Richard Linkletter with Daisy Confused, is breaking the mold. I mean, it's is a, he? well, it's almost a plotless film that works. So yeah, there's no real plot. We've talked about this before. Is there a it's film before driven. that though? Huh? Is there a film before that that le- like like we talked about? I said I said that Animal House is like the precursor to Dazed and Confused. Okay, but Animal House does Animal House has a plot. In the same way. No, not in the same way. They they are trying to save their fraternity. There's a plot. There's a is actually a bit of an adventure flick, right? They're going out, they're trying to save their fraternity, they're going against the man. No, there's a very there's a clear plot line. Okay. This is a character piece. This is a sort of slice of life. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would maybe call it a, a rite of passage genre. Not a rite of passage, I'm sorry. A coming of age. I don't want to this, you can get mixed up. A coming of age genre. Um, and the quality of the film and, the, and the, the pacing, the quality of the picture, the way it's shot, all of these things, it's more of an, it's more of an art piece than I would say um, which, which, which rings true of film, then Can't Hardly Wait is more about entertainment, which is rings true more of a movie. Before we go further on this topic with regards to Can't Hardly Wait, what is Empire Records? Ooh, I'd have to jog my memory on, on what, how that movie went. I, I, don't, I don't know. Because I'm going to go film with that one. That one, I would go film with that one. I fully agree that Can't Hardly Wait is a movie. I just, it did have a, t- a twinge of uh, demeaning or, you know, like it was just not that, you know. But I, but like Night at the Roxbury is a movie that I, that I <laughs> it's a, definitely a movie. No question about it. So, I do, yeah. I think heightened reality is totally fair. It's it's a it's a little exaggerated. Um, it's a little a little ridiculous. You haven't seen it in a year, and you're forgetting it's not a little exaggerated. It's incredibly exaggerated. I don't know. What's exa- what's incredibly exaggerated? You know, it does a nice. Here's what it does a nice job of. It what does, does a, it nice do a nice job, job of, of capturing that late '90s and I want to talk. Yeah, but also like it's very Southern California as well. You think so? Is it is it specific? Oh, it is because you have Jen, uh, what's her not not Janine Garofalo, Jenny Jennifer Love Hewitt. No, no. well Jennifer Love Hewitt oh, was totally early. Jenna Elfman. No, Jenna Elfman, who's as a, basically a hooker, an angel hooker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fucking funny, man. I mean, the way they talk, the way the, the the types of characters, you know, you may not have 
seen this because you grew up in this, but it is the rest of the world was subjected to watching stories about Southern California people and like, you know, like clueless, like people growing up oh. in Southern California were subjected to that sort of, you know, watching that, you know, the sort of Valley girl or Valley, you know, kid, teenager mentality. Um, oh, interesting. And so, it, you know, it captured a lot of that. Um, and I think it did, did a decent job at like capturing the stereotypes of different types of kids in high school at that time. And, but it was all cranked up, you know, it was all dialed up. It's over the top comedy, um, which sometimes is funny, sometimes isn't. Definitely more geared towards a younger audience. I think it was geared towards people who are, who are a younger crowd at that time even which where you were sitting at why you watched it and was like oh i like this i remember this whereas i'm a little bit older i'm in college at this point i'm watching right. this with a more cynical point of view yeah you know um i do think i, I remember thinking like oh seth green did a great job watching it again i still think he did a great job but it is incredibly ridiculous to watch him play it's that incredible character. it's you know but we all uh, but, knew that guy. Yeah, yeah. And he pulled it off. He pulled it off well. Um, yeah, and the, the, it does a great job. Like, I think I do think it's like these, these two movies, I do think they do capture our differences, our generational differences. Yeah, yes. That Days of Confused would speak to Gen X and that Can't Hardly Wait would speak to millennials. To some extent. But even though that cast, I would say, is probably closer age-wise to Gen X or Xennials? Sure, the cast, because they were always going to cast older, um, but the content of the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, because, so let's bear in mind that movie was 1998. Yes. I was in seventh grade. Right? So totally, that's why you loved it. You're like, yes, it's because it spoke to a younger audience. It really does, yeah. I don't even know that high schoolers are like, this is, this defines us. And you're right that Days of Confused has more staying power. Staying power. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Wonder Years and Young Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll take that. Wonder Years film, 100 percent Yes. Um, yes. Young Sheldon, I haven't watched, but I'm gonna just assume it's straight up. You can guess. I'm not even gonna watch Young Sheldon. Do you know what I mean? Like we could take a wild guess. No shade if you like it, but if you do like it, you're a, it's a different category. And again, you and your wife like trash TV. So I'm not oh, here. I love to trash TV. I, and I love trash movies. Like I would probably like if I was just in the right mood at the right time, late at night, flipping the channels and can't hardly wait came on, I would probably watch it. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember this film. What happened? Oh, yeah. You mean yeah. this movie? Yeah. Yeah, this movie. You're right. Thank you for correcting me. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I've watched some garbage late at night before. And, I, you know, I'm one of those people who once the story begins, I just got to see how it ends. Oh, yeah, that's fair. And sometimes even when I've seen it before, because I also just appreciate the industry. I appreciate storytelling. Um, it's good storytelling. They do a great job. Like, oh, Yeah. It's a well-constructed rom-com. Um, it did its job. It was entertaining for its audience. Um, the acting actually is isn't so bad. Cute. Yeah, no. He's cute. He's a, I think the character is just a little too 
Um, Nerdy's not the right word, but klutzy or something. I don't know. Yeah, bumbly. A little too bumbly for but me. But that's but. also Ethan Embry, I think, because then he actually is in Empire Records too, as like the young, <laughs> sort of high, but we don't ever see him smoke or or whatever, you know, young teenager. But you know, can't hardly wait. That cast is incredible. Like almost even down to the to the cameos, like the one sceners. Yeah. I mean the. All of them have have are had careers after that. Yeah, uh, I don't know if the jock does. Does the jock? I mean, I'd have to look it up, but I'm sure he had. Not maybe not as big as some of the other. No, it's def- it's definitely a good cast as far as like good character actors. The redhead from you know Six Feet Under, she's really good. I told you like the redhead trope is the same too. She's like dorky and you know she wants to live her life too, or <laughs> or break out of her mold. Um. Yeah, I do, I definitely I have nothing to argue you on. Um, I th- I think I think you're dead on with that. I mean, there there's just there is definitely just something that is so. I do think this is a good sort of companion piece to what we talk about because I do think can't hardly wait spoke to your generation. I think that's right. It, it's it just stands out as like, you know. And road trip spoke to other people, and um, American Pie is another one. Wait, is an American mm-hmm. Pie a film? Total. No, uh, no, complete movie. Okay, great. Just, just trying to, just trying to, for lack of a better word, calibrate. It's a fun question. Uh, hence, it's also a fun podcast. Um, great. So people can just stop listening to us. Go download that podcast. The only problem with with the podcast because um, I love the, I love the guys. I think they do a great job is I just can't keep up with watching all the movies. Oh, but isn't listening to them talk about it good enough. I don't like movies spoiled for me. Ah, there you go. I'm one of those people like, you know, I, I, I don't watch trailers, especially mm-hmm. like, if I know I'm going to go see the movie, I'm not going to watch a trailer. Interesting. Cause why, why would I have the thing ruined for me? Um, it's like, it's like it's like it's like foreplay. Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah. edging. <laughs> I, I you know trailers you could they tell you the whole movie especially like when they you know like these big releases where they do these oh, like they totally five minute do. trailers they tell you the whole movie and it's like well, what's the you. point I mean if I know I'm gonna go watch it why do I. No, hundred percent. I think you're right. I, I sometimes I I think I'm a sucker because like I'm scrolling through my phone and then next thing you know I'm looking at a trailer because it's advertised and you know I like looking at pretty faces or you know there's Tom Hiddleston I'll look at I'll look at that you know I think they get they get me with the pretty pretty eyes and, and good looking actors. That's I'm a sucker. I mean if I if I don't know anything about the film. And I want to see if I might want to go see it. I'll, I will watch the trailer. Totally. You know what? Don't give, you can't walk back the fa- fact now that you sound like a total pompous asshole. I don't. I don't watch. I don't watch trailers. You no, can't. no. I said I don't watch trailers from movies that I know I'm going to go see. It's like so. That's what you sound like. I. That's that's just my tone, but actually oh, the oh. content of what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, you're the worst.
Is there anything I don't know this week? Yeah. Uh, speaking of edging, just oh. to, for those who did listen to last oh, week. Oh, no. Sorry for having such a, you know, such a difficult analogy while you're listening to a difficult topic of crypto. Crypto corner. We're going to do like a little mini crypto corner. Crypto to, corner. We're going to get into it just a little bit. <laughs> um, Yay. Because something happened. So if you listen to last week, Crypto Corner, we talked about uh, Bitcoin dominance and how and, and resistance of Bitcoin hitting 40K. Um, so Bitcoin dominance is when everything follows Bitcoin, when all the altcoins price follows the Bitcoin price. And that Bitcoin was shooting up and it was hit, meeting some resistance at 40K, which means... Which again, to make our analogy work, really, so it's, big, it's Bitcoin dominance and all the other coins are subs. There you go. Oh, great. There you go. That's all. We just have found the sexual analogy to it. Yes, That's all. Um, well, so, so, uh, so Bitcoin did break its resistance um, and it went up to like maybe 42 and started... 40, 42.5. So it broke through. Its actual resistance, a lot of people were saying, was around like 41. So because it kind of broke the 40, but didn't quite move. And then it broke the 41. And you're like, oh my God, here we go, Bitcoin. Um, and everything's moving. And, and, uh, and here comes Ethereum, and Ethereum's charging. It's following Bitcoin. Uh, but then out of nowhere, Bitcoin drops and it goes back below 40K. But guess what? The you, pulled, you pulled out. <laughs> <laughs> no, to follow your thing, Ethereum made Bitcoin its bitch and uh, took the horse whip. And now we have Ethereum, Ethereum dominance. Dom. <laughs> Ethereum dominance. <laughs> Ethereum kept going. Bitcoin dropped and is below its 40K. We have Ethereum dominance right now. It kept going up. Um, and all the alts are, are continuing to go up as well, follow, wow. now following Ethereum. Wow. So, so what does that mean? What does that mean now? Everything we know is. Well, no, it does. It just, it, things move in cycles and it's just important to know about the cycles that are happening and okay. that sort of Bitcoin dominance has shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what it could mean. Again, this is not a financial advice. We're not financial advice. This is entertainment. This We're is sure. entertainment. But what it could mean is. If, it, if things continue in this trajectory, that Ethereum and altcoins will continue to move up, mm. regardless of, domi- of Bitcoin's movement. Mm. Um, but you never know. Shit could happen. We could hit a weekend. A lot of things dip over the weekend. It could dip this weekend. Uh, but as of right now, just to let people know who probably aren't paying attention <laughs> and probably don't give a shit. Not so, yeah. But just letting you know. Bitcoin has stalled out at 40K, just under it. It's still at that resistance, whereas everything else is continuing to move up. Well, I just am regretful. I'm regretful of uh, not buying Ethereum. I've only bought... How much do you want to punch me in the face right now? You should be uh, regretful. Everybody's regretful if you wanted to to, to capitalize. It's at 2600 right now, and you could have bought it at 1700 last week. Wow. Right? Or two weeks ago. Well, a week and a half maybe, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. crazy. But the, the, the other crazy thing is, is it could be back at 17 next week or in two weeks. You know, it's, you don't know. You just don't know. Um, again, if you're playing, if you're, if, if you're playing, 
if you're a hodler, just buy and hold and wait. It doesn't matter what price you buy it at. Just buy it and sit at it. Don't but, pull out just yet. So during this, during this time, I had a little bit of cash that I was trying to like do the old buy low, sell high thing. I kept missing a lot of the waves as it would go down and go back up because it's just so, you know, it's just so, uh, it's just so emotional when you see things going down and you don't want to buy, but that should be the time when you do buy. And mm. when they go up, you're, you've usually missed it. No, yeah. So anyways, but I did pull the trigger once on one, on a, you know, on like a dip. Yeah. On a dip for 25% of my, my cash. Um, and uh, so now it's up. So I, I got one. I bought a little bit of this thing called Chainlink. Supposedly it's good long term. Anyways, and now it's up. It's up 30%. Now I'm wondering, do I, do I just sell it and make the profit? Or do I, you know, you're now you're in that place like, oh, what do you do now? I think I should just sell it. because I, th- I think my gut says sell it and I'll be sorry if it moves up. But it's going to come back down. I've never heard chat right? link in my life. Chain link. That too. <laughs> that's all. You can't even remember it. Someday I'll give you a blockchain li- a, a list that I work off of. Someday you'll educate. Educate. There's a few that I watch that are that from people that I've listened to are good long term holds. You know, like mm-hmm. that have, that that are you know because what we're you know if you're looking at long term holds on alts right now is you're kind of what which one of these has staying power. Because mm-hmm. most of them are not going to have staying power. So, which ones probably have the best chance of of being around five years from now, ten years from now? Um, and if you, you know, if you want to play the game I'm playing, um, you might as well trade those coins because if you do get stuck and it and it tanks, well, just sit on it. The only thing you, the only thing you lose is that whatever capital you had invested gets locked up and you can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and you definitely at this point can rely a little bit more on Bitcoin or Ethereum or maybe even XRP to do more work long term than something I just heard about today. Let Let's not include XRP in the conversation with Bitcoin and Ethereum. That's a personal opinion that you have. Well, it's no, <laughs> I guess so. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to give me some evidence why you think XRP I don't is on the know. same level as just because I know the name. Look, it goes like this: Oh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh-huh. and everything else. And then everything else, you can choose whether it's gonna have staying power or not. Okay, just, just like Bitcoin all my, or... just like all my exes. <laughs> yes, you're right. You, yes, no, your exes. Are the are the other as everyone as everything else, else. <laughs> and a lot of them appear. I guess they none of them had stank power. And I have yet to find the Bitcoin or Ethereum. Of my life. Yeah, but just so you know, there's no guarantee those stick around either. This is true. You can't. Nothing is a guarantee. Nothing is a guarantee. No. There's there's no guarantee. That's uh, well. On that note, Nick, thanks so much for. <laughs> Your hot takes. Um. I just wanted—I just want to save you from XRP heartbreak. It's a gamble, just like anything else. Not to say that Bitcoin and Ethereum aren't gambles. All this whole market is a potential gamble, but I, XRP 
is just right there with all the rest of like, hey, is this thing gonna is this thing gonna take or is it not? Sure, I well, I will do this. I will actually do this homework. I will look up XRP and we'll have a talk about it next week. Oh sure, yeah. I'll do that'll be my research. Yeah, do that research. And you're gonna do a research on whether boys have midlife crisis, quarter life crises as well in the same way. I can tell you right now. I already done the research. I lived it. <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. Well, that's how we're gonna we're gonna wet people's appetites for next week. <laughs> based on that. You don't want to hear my quarter life crisis story. Of course I do. It's dark. <laughs> That's what that's what that's what we want. It's actually pretty funny, but it's it's uh, you know. If you want to share it with us, we'll be willing participants. Sure. We'll okay. Okay. Um, Nick, thanks for doing a podcast with me. Yes, this is fun. I don't know what we talked about today, but I'm sure it was important and entertaining. If anything, we could rest our laurels on our charisma and charm. Can we? I think so. We'll see. <laughs> Bye, Nick. Bye, Jess. <laughs> Nichols, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Nick and I really love doing this podcast for you. We love doing it together. We love talking about what the generational experience is like from different perspectives. And we really look forward to hearing from different things that you have to contribute to us as well. If you become a patron today, you could ask us questions if you're at a certain tier. You can get early access to episodes if we're able to get them done in time for you. You'll get sick-ass merch. And if we can find the time, a monthly deep dive where Nick and I go deep on topics that we're passionate about but aren't necessarily through the generational lens. Become a patron today. Become an official nickel. Go to patreon.com slash you don't own Nick to find out more ways you can support our podcast. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Nichols. Now that was a JLV production.